podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Celtic state of mind. I'm Paul John Dykes, and today I'm delighted to be joined by Sean Conley. How are you doing, Sean? Good. Yeah, it's getting uh, it's quite dark here late at night in Western Australia, but uh, our time difference is actually narrowed, so we're on a seven-hour delay now. Seven-hour delay, and uh, you're coming from Australia, of course. You are part of the Celtic Down Under team. Tell us a wee bit about the uh, show because that's been expanding recently, hasn't it? Yeah, we've been getting quite a lot of traction now. Uh, we've got Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday shows now. Uh, the Monday one is timed so that uh, it starts just as you guys are finishing and uh, the Tuesday and Wednesday ones would be on before uh, before you guys start. So uh, Monday is really uh, kind of deep focus on whatever the game is at the weekend and Tuesday and Wednesday can get a bit more uh, broad. Tuesday looking a bit like the history and culture of the club. Wednesday can be anything, uh, like homegrown players or, you know, like gambling sponsorship, that sort of thing. Oh, definitely. If there's anything you want to discuss in the comments section, thanks everybody for getting involved, then uh, ask the question, spark up a debate. Uh, we've got loads of discussion points here, but obviously if there's anything that you really want to talk about on a Celtic state of mind, then let us know and Sean and I will discuss that now. Since uh, Sean was last on the show, there's plenty for us to chat about. Uh, I'm going to Start off with all the good stuff, the positivity around that first half performance against Kilmarnock. Sean, for you, was it the best 45 minutes we've seen under Ange Postacoglu? Um, it was different. I, I, think, I think because it was a kind of new system, I think to say it was the best is almost comparing apples and Pears. I was going to say apples and oranges, but it's not not really apples and oranges. But it's comparing apples and pears. Uh, it was very good, very effective system, and it feels like it's ramping up towards playing with that kind of system in Europe next year, mm. and potentially uh, the semi final next week as well. Uh, so I feel like I'm not sure Hatati is going to get back in the team before the semi final. Uh, with I think that's what we're trying to bed in that system at the moment. Yeah, I mean, that that is something that we were talking um, yesterday with John Hughes. John posed the question around, pick a three, pick the trio in the midfield. Mm -hmm. And um, obviously that sparks the discussion. He ran a poll on his socials and it was very interesting. My own midfield came third in the poll. But I think there is definitely that recency bias, whereas... Awata was in a lot of people's uh, forefront of their minds, Sean. So he was getting into a lot of the teams. But if you had asked the question four weeks ago, Moy would have been in a lot of people's teams. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I said O'Reilly. I, I would go with O'Reilly across what I've seen since he came to the club. And that includes this season. I mean, he's he's been getting some stick. We'll talk about him. But, you know, I think in terms of a, a midfield three, he would definitely be in mind. We called the Kilmarnock performance a 27-minute masterclass. It was a goal blitz. Um, some of the football was sensational. It looked at one point 
like we might get to that fabled double figures. I mean, when you score mm-hmm. four goals and miss a penalty in 27 minutes, Sean, are we just being greedy? I mean, we're not going, I don't think we're going to get there post split. No, because the the foot will come off the gas a bit. Players that are injured will take time off, um, go for surgery, whatever they need to do. It happens every single time. I think the only time we really had, even, I I think we had a couple of good performances after the league was won under Martin O'Neill when they brought the kids in. So the kids were up for it and we had like Sean Maloney and Simon Lynch fighting over a penalty. Mm -hmm. Uh, Apart from that, the kind of, the drive and hunger kind of goes out a wee bit. And it's just natural. Uh, you can't really do much about it, can you? But we're going to, what, we're on 102 goals now. The record's 106. It'd be nice to get that this weekend. The thing is, we are going to be breaking records. Um, you know, talking about trebles, for example, there, there's a record uh, to be set if we're able to get the full domestic clean sleep. Sweep, I've got the uh, tagline running, Ange flicked the switch on Celtic Reset, now he looks unstoppable. And he's done all of that in a very, very short space of time. Um, really, in the great scheme of things, Sean, I mean, we used to talk about um, a culture, having to change the culture at Celtic. And this was in the, the final season uh, under Neil Lennon because we felt at that point that, you know, we did need a reset. So to come in and not only uh, instill a culture at a football club that, you know, should have been there, but it wasn't, it was lacking. Uh, also give the kind of self-belief in the players that were already there, um, reinvigorate the careers of others and then rebuild with the recruitment. So there's so much happening, so much plates being spun, uh, all by one guy, and he'd done it, and I keep saying it, all by himself, really. And what I mean by that is he was on his own when he came over. He obviously had a team behind him, and he started slowly building um, and moulding that team himself as well. But uh, we've got this guy who's in in the Scottish game doing wonders for Celtic, but also for the Scottish game. You look at the exposure that we're getting over in Australia, for example, over in Japan, mm-hmm. uh, because obviously he managed it, he's brought players from there. And the whole thing for me has gone up a level, yet all we seem to see on a day-to-day basis in Scotland is good headlines for <laughs> Rangers, bad headlines for Celtic. And the bad headlines are normally Andrew's leaving or Matt O'Reilly's leaving or somebody's leaving. And it's all bad. you know. And I think people might say, well, just ignore it. I think it needs to be called out, Sean. I think that yeah. if you've got a platform and uh, over all the different platforms we go out on, so we're out on Twitter, YouTube, Twitch, Facebook, etc., and we also have all the audio platforms that we go out on, we are listened to and watched by 1.2 million people in a month. So in terms of a narrative, which is the most overused word in Scottish football, especially in fan media, uh, in terms of a narrative, if it's being skewed, you've got to call it out. And then I think the narrative can be uh, formed within alternative media. I mean, because if you don't call it out, no one else will. Yeah, and that £112 million valuation that they came up with for Sevco was just the most idiotic thing I've ever seen in my life. It's like, well, here's a number and here's another number. Let's just time them together and see what we get. Um, I'd, I'd be curious to see what that value would come out for Celtic if you did that number of shares times share value. I don't even know if it'd be more or less, but the point is it's a nonsensical uh, kind of metric. Um, to go back a little bit on what you said about uh, Ange hitting the reset switch, uh, we were talking about the culture. We've had times in the past where managers have come in and reset a culture. Uh, Ronnie Dyla did it and 
enjoyed some good success in his first year. Mm-hmm. Uh, even Neil Lennon did it when he took over from Tony Mowbray. He had a real reset on the culture and attitude. Yeah. Barry Robson doing it at Aberdeen just now. But I think the third thing you said there was the real key difference is what Postacoglu is doing different is he's churning players. Because what we've always had in the past is managers staying loyal to players, holding on to them for too long. And we got to that point. And if you look through the historical records, like there was always like three in a row, three in a row, three in a row. And then it would go like Sevco would win three in a row, or Rangers as they were. It was win three in a row, Celtic would win three in a row. And it'd be this kind of three-year cycle. Mm. And if you're and if you're not refreshing the playing squad, that's kind of inevitably what happens. And at the time, I was always thinking to myself, why are we doing this? Like, look at all the, the teams that dominate for a sustained period of time. Liverpool in the 80s, you couldn't believe the players that were being sold. Man United in the 90s and 2000s. Ferguson just getting rid of Yap Stam and the likes, yeah. David Beckham. Uh, even Real Madrid now, still doing it. When they sold Casemiro, everyone's like, what? You know, well, like, they couldn't believe the player. Varane, like, you know, that's how you have to, you can't have sentiment in your team. You have to keep it fresh. You have to keep new faces coming in. Yeah, without a doubt. And the examples you used are proof of that. You've always got to be looking to the next um, right back, the next centre forward. And I think Ange does that brilliantly. We, we've been, like you say, I think we've been guilty of it in the past. That succession planning simply has not been there. And it is interesting when you look at the league titles one. You know, you did have that run of two or three and then it was split and then it was winning it back. And and yeah, let's give credit to some of the gaffers who have done it. I think uh, Neil Lennon undoubtedly done that with Tony Mowbray left the position. Brendan Rogers done it. Ronnie Dyla done it. I think if Ronnie was a stronger character, then he would have got more success out of it because there was a lot of resistance to the changes he was making when he came in. And what you've got with Ange is you've got that power of his personality to to see it through as well. Um, I'm really keen to get the thoughts, the comments, the opinions of all the viewers um, as many as possible today. Please, if you're watching the video, this makes a massive, massive difference to us on YouTube. Give us a thumbs up on the video as well. And if you want to comment, subscribe to the channel. Uh, it's the only way, because that's the only way we can kind of control the commenters. And if you see anyone who's lurking um, and not for the betterment of the Axon community, give us a shout and we can do something about that as well. Jungle Lion, another day, and all the good news stories about that mob yet again, pathetic at this stage. And that's what we're talking about. But again, I think in the past, you had to kind of suffer it. Um, And once a month, through the door would come the Not The View, because I used to subscribe to it, Sean, Mm -hmm. and it would come through the door. And only then would you have the... Because you didn't even get that in the Celtic View. You know, the fans' opinions appeared in the pages of fanzines that would be photocopied up, printed up, sent through the door, picked up outside the games. And now you've got that instant ability just to go online and discuss it with fellow Celtic fans. So it is important to continually bring it up. Paddy Lavery, welcome back. Afternoon, all the sun is shining in the Doyne. Well, hopefully the sun is shining in Dalkeith as well, Paddy. But here's a big shout out to On The Volley. Get that checked out as well. That's another channel on YouTube. And you will be able to see Shah who's on the right of uh, Paddy's avatar there. He's a presenter, and Paddy was on the show. Give an axe on a big shout out just the other week there, so thank you for that, my friend. Um, we've got David Oro, who um, is giving a shout out to the Harrow Shamrock CSC. What is your CSC? Let us know, and we'll give you a shout out as well. Um, we're going to be looking ahead, because we're on Thursday already, and the, the games are coming in thick and fast, Sean. Look ahead to the Motherwell game at the weekend, and sometimes you get to the point and I think this is fine as a football fan to to get confident in your team, to start looking ahead even beyond the next game. I know football players and managers don't do that. We can do it. But with the Rangers game in mind, 
Um, what will Ange do? What do we know about Ange in terms of his uh, team selection? What is he going to do with the likes of Awata over Moy, um, Kobayashi over Katla Vickers? We've not spoken about his injury yet. Haxabanovic potentially over Jota. Any other changes? Uh, do you think he will do that? It was a bit of a surprise to see the selection against Kelly. Is he going to do the same again against Motherwell, do you think? I don't. I think the, the midfield three will stay the same. Uh, I don't see that, barring injury or suspension, I don't see that changing between now and the start of the semi-final. I think that will be the same three for Motherwell and the same three for the semi. Uh, the defence is different. No, I think Carter Vickers comes back in this weekend, uh, shakes off any rust. I think he had a suspension hanging over him as well if he'd got booked to the weekend. So that was right. another, there might have been another reason why he was out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if he gets booked this weekend, there's a there's a two week delay on any suspension for a yellow card, so it doesn't matter. He'd be fine for the semi, uh, so he'll come back in, shake off any rust on the knee, play in the semi, and then probably go for an operation after that. Uh, based on the stories we've heard, Haxibanovic will probably be back out the team. Uh, Jota will be back in. It's a shame because Haxibanovic, I, I was kind of I didn't talk about him like on our pod. I, I I didn't even mention his name. Didn't get him, and he was just, because he was just kind of quietly efficient he wasn't really doing anything that stood him out he was taking the ball well passing it well you know like he was doing good triangles but he's not the sort of man that's going to take on a player doesn't do the fancy things like Jota doesn't torch someone for pace like Maeda Mm. and he doesn't really score goals unless he's on the left so it's uh yeah it's an interesting one I don't see him starting again I think we'll back to the the Maeda Jota and uh, Kyogo front three yeah, that, that's the strongest in my mind. And I think that uh, Haksabanovic is a player we've spoken about a lot in here, Sean, uh, whereby I think there's something under the surface we've not quite seen yet. We've seen some flashes from Haksabanovic and eventually he gets his start. And you're glad he gets his start. I certainly was against Kilmanic. Give Jota a rest, play Haksabanovic, albeit probably not in his, his favoured position on the right-hand side. But like you say, when you've got a guy like Maeda on the left, um, who's going to give you something completely different. You can understand why Haksabanovic is over there. Uh, a feature of many of Angie's signings, though, is that you can't be fixed to one position. You have got to be adaptable. And if you mm-hmm. get a game out right, you've got to make an impression, or like you say, you're going to drop back out. And I think a lot of the players, other than potentially Yakamakis and maybe even O, could adapt to go left, right. You know, you look at the adaptability of Matt, Matt O'Reilly in the European games this season. Um, and if you've got two or three options within your positional ability, you're going to be a much bigger asset for Ange Postacoglu. That may, that may actually harm Haxabanovic a wee bit. There's been suggestions that he's probably a better 10. Have you seen signs of that? Would you maybe try and play him as a number 10? I think he's got it, but I don't think he is naturally, to be honest. I, or not the t- kind of 10 that I like. Maybe a more traditional kind of second striker, like a, a Carlos Tevez type. He's, he's that kind of mould rather than not like a like a Zidane or a Priost. Not, not like someone that would sit in that hole. Um, yeah, I, I get what people say when they're saying that because he is very tidy in possession. He does have a great uh, weight of pass. He can see things well. Um, I just... Yeah, I think he's more of a, a an attacking player than that. Um, yeah, and it's a strange one that Maeda, like, it, what you're saying about the two positions there, like, yeah, and, and it just kind of triggered in my head, like, Hatati, yeah, sure, he's played left back this season as well as centre mid. You've got Bernabe came on at the wing uh, last week against Sevco. And it, the funny thing is, is it was only a few weeks ago uh, that uh, Hatati was dropped. 
you know what I mean? And now we're like, and then he then he was shouted player of the season. Now he's injured, and we're saying he's not getting back in the team again. It's just, and Matt Riley can get a game for two or three months, can get a start, and now he's seems to be undroppable somehow. Same Adam Moyle. Like these it just comes in these really weird cycles where, in the past, like Alan Thompson would be injured straight back in. You know, like that sort of thing. Yeah, that just mm-hmm. doesn't happen now. We've just got okay. It's your jersey. Keep doing it. Yeah, you're right. And I think that there will come a point as well, Sean, because very unusual, it, it would be very unusual for every single player in a, a side to peak all at the same time. Um, if that was to happen in an Ange team, then it's going to be frightening. And uh, big shout out to Keith Oakton. You are uh, in a very warm and sunny plumber. I'm going to have to have a look outside the studio, you know, Sean. I've not even seen outside since I got here this morning to see if the weather's okay. I've got a drive through to Glasgow as soon as we're finished here. Uh, so hopefully... There's a bit of sunshine, puts a smile on your face. Michael, again, a big hi from the boys and girls in Newcastle, County Down. It's always great to hear where you are watching from. Listen, even if you don't have a G postcode, you can tune into Axon and be a Celtic fan, and that's what we love to see. That was a wee dig Sunday last week. Sean said that um, guys <laughs> like me who, who don't live in Glasgow shouldn't support Celtic. Nonsense. Uh, Tobago Street Police Station, Celtic Supporters Club. See, there's CSCs everywhere. Um, <laughs> you think the best 45 was against Rangers, Hatati, Hatati, and Abara. Yeah, um, absolutely up there. Absolutely up there. Um, and, and the atmosphere that night as well was tremendous. And bizarrely enough, uh, we took at least one, maybe two people for their first Celtic v Rangers experience uh, that night. And um, I remember saying to them after the game, listen, don't get your hopes up. Football's not like this all the time. But this was some introduction uh, to what it can be like. Danielle points out, uh, and we will talk about this, Danielle. Actually, why not talk about it right now because you brought it up. Massive congratulations to the girls last night. Mm-hmm. They won 6-0 and took themselves only two points behind Glasgow City at the top. Could the men's and women women's team clean up the league titles? Well, let's hope so. Celtic have never won a title. Um, in the women's in the women's league, um, and I think that when you look at the growth globally in the women's game, Sean, it's phenomenal um, that uh, we're seeing it in Scottish football as well. We've got a number of professional clubs now. Celtic um, were not professional until I think it was two or three years ago. Someone might be able to correct me on that. And we started covering the games actually during the pandemic. And it was great. We actually covered match day games um, as well. And there's a few members of our team who are big, big supporters of the women's game, uh, like Natasha Miko, like Colin Watt. Um, And Natasha was at the game again last night watching uh, Celtic's women team absolutely dismantle hearts 6-0. Fran Alonso obviously was in the news for all the wrong reasons recently, Sean, having been assaulted uh, on the sidelines during a draw against Rangers. But Celtic had just beat Glasgow City and they followed that up with a resounding victory. Meanwhile, Rangers beat Glasgow City 2-1 last night and there's two points in it. So we're two points behind Glasgow City and Rangers are a point behind Celtic. Um, it definitely we're, is on. We're playing Glasgow City in the Cup this weekend as well. Yeah. it's You know, it's one of these things, Sean, that, you know, it's not a new phenomenon. Women's football is not a new phenomenon, but it's great and refreshing in the last couple of years, certainly. It's getting more of a focus in Scottish football. And um, we can talk about it. We've become familiar with the, the players. Fran Alonso is a charismatic kind of coach. And it would be fantastic to see them winning this. I would love to see more games at Celtic Park, though. 
Yeah, definitely. Or even if they, they revamp Battlefield that they were talking about, I'd actually prefer that, to be honest, like to have uh, like a dedicated venue uh, where it's smaller and you're not like kind of lost in the, the stadium. Do you know what I mean? Like you can kind of feel like you're in a hollow place if there's too many empty seats. But if you could have something more kind of tighter and intimate, that'd be better. I don't actually like Airdrie. I've been there a few times for games and it's, I mean, you've seen Airdrie. Uh, no offence to anyone that's listening from Airdrie, but uh, it's not, the stadium's not changed in quite some time and uh, I don't like playing on the plastic. But imagine if you could get like a game, like say on a Saturday, you got midday, you go along to Battlefield, watch the ladies or the B team, whoever's home that weekend, and you just walk along to Celtic Park and for the three o'clock game. Do you know what I mean? Like, great day out. No, you're right, and there's there's so much that has to be done to continue with that that, that level of exposure, um, and then what happens is you know if there's a success uh, in the Champions League, for example, then the exposure goes up again, and I think it's all about yeah, we are always trying to build um, the brand of Celtic Football Club, but a part of that now is the B team, it is the women's team, um, and it's great that they are getting coverage. Hopefully we'll get more live games on the TV as well. And if you are able to try and maybe incorporate the season ticket um, so that it allows you to go to the games, I think that would be a good idea. We've been talking about some of the, the players who... Um, are hot at this moment in time, like you say, undroppable. And in two or three weeks, that discussion might be completely different. But what we have seen in recent weeks, Sean, is um, Awata getting some game time. And again, as I say, he's at the forefront of our mind at the moment, so much so that a lot of, a lot of the people in that poll that John ran would have picked Awata over Moy, which is bizarre because Moy a few weeks ago was, was a first pick. Um, with, again, the Rangers game in mind, um, what are you going to do there? I mean, is Moy a player that you think to yourself, he wasn't great against Rangers in the last game. He wasn't brilliant, right? Um, and, you know, a great Aaron Moy is a huge asset to Celtic in a massive game like this. However, I don't think Awata's put a foot wrong. Yeah, I think you're being very generous by saying he wasn't great. Uh, quite euphemistic <laughs> there. Um, but yeah, no, uh, look, if you think back to the cup final, uh, the 2-1 game, uh, Moy is crucial in the build-up to both goals, but mm. then he's culpable for the concession of the the goal that uh, that Morelos scores. So, and I remember saying at the time, like uh, O'Reilly defends that if he's in the team ahead of Moy because O'Reilly is underrated as set piece defense. Uh, but we're talking obviously we're talking about Awata being in there, and I think, well, what we're up against here, Todd Cantwell, who is like. I hope he plays every game against us for as long as he can because he was an empty jersey in the last game. Raskin looked decent enough, but uh, Todd Cantwell was absolutely awful. Like I don't know how he's getting the man of the match in every game for them, but he's he was terrible when he played against us. Maybe he just had a bad day, but like, I didn't see it. I didn't see what they were seeing, and I'm not afraid of it. And I think Iwata will absolutely own him. Mm. Is it the bull he's been getting called uh, because he has some presence about him physically, doesn't he? Well, surely the nickname should be like Glass or uh, the one I've seen online was Hole, Holy Water. Um, but yeah, what, what, should, what should it be on? Well, Marelli's called him Tank. So Tank of Water is not as bad, not that bad either. Tank, Tank's good. But yeah, I remember, I mean, Vata came on as well. And um, I know that uh, his dad and, and him are called. Um, big holy and wee holy 
by members uh, of the family. So yes, <laughs> yes, absolutely. If we, if we sign someone up top and play Vata out right, we, we could have a, a forward line of O, Lee, Vata. Is there a player out there called Lee? Could be a, a wee Chinese import perhaps. And then we could have a proper forward line of Ole Vata. But Jamie, <laughs> 7121, hail hail from New Zealand, heading towards midnight over in New Zealand. Uh, yeah, thanks for tuning in, every single one of you. We're 600 strong in a live stream, um, and it's absolutely great to welcome you all in. I was uh, speaking just last week about what happened during the pandemic and how we went live on on the stream, and obviously a lot of people did that, Sean, because we wanted news, we wanted that community spirit, we wanted to engage with people, uh, either as part of the show or as uh, an audience member and a commenter. And I said one of the most important parts of that is is the fact that a community was very quickly built up within the comment section. You see people coming in and they become known by name or by avatar, not only by us presenting the show, but also by the fellow uh, commenters. And it's so important to ensure that, uh, you know, that that's something that we keep up, that community spirit, because... Um, You've got to remember, not only are people coming from all over the globe, they're coming from all kind of areas of society, and sometimes that bit of engagement might be about the only engagement they, they get in a day. Um, so don't ever forget that, and let's keep it as it is because we've got a very healthy community within the Axon team. Um, you mentioned Carter Vickers, and I'll be a bit of rustiness. Um, it was confirmed during the week there that um, we're managing, or he is managing uh, an injury at this moment in time. Hatati's out injured. Abada um, has been out for a few weeks as well. But even so, and the fact that Jota was rested, even though those four, you know, top, top players were missing from the side, we had the strength, the depth, didn't we, Sean? And that's something, again, yeah. we were talking about, again, Kevin and I were talking about a game last night. Uh, we went live last night on Screen Celica and we were talking about a game uh, that we played against Utrecht and it was um, when we dropped down to the UEFA Cup under mm. Joseph Engels. And you looked at the bench and you had like 17 and 18-year-old kids on the bench. The depth of the squad simply wasn't there. It's something I also think when you look at that great Martin O'Neill side, we didn't have that depth. The depth we've got now is phenomenal. And I think also when you look at the dozen loanees, and I don't know how many are going to come back as Celtic players, I reckon maybe two or three, um, get rid of the rest you know, and flip that into two or three very, very good quality signings. And then that depth gets better because all those dozen players that are not here are obviously not contributing, but mm -hmm. they're all, you know, you know, if you add in the accumulation of their wages, it's a massive hit every single week that Celtic will, will be uh, taken. You turn that into three or four decent signings and we continue with that constant pressure on whoever's got the jersey. And that's a good thing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, when you're mentioning the the depth in the Martin O'Neill era, the first thing that popped into my head was when David Fernandez got subbed on and subbed off in that game. Uh, I think it was, I don't even remember who he was playing, Motherwell, Livingston. Other players that were coming off the bench were like Ulrich Lawson. Uh, do you know what Momo, I mean? Like, Momo Silla. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Momo, we're relying on Momo Silla to score last minute goals against FC Bow. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's. That would that was kind of where we were at at that time was we had all this investment in the salaries of the big earners and then it was just what's the best we can get from the SPF, SPL at that point after that and and I think and look 
I don't think we're in the position we're in. If it, and this is going to sound really ridiculous, but I think Brexit has put us in this position where we can actually like we could not have signed a Wata or Kyogo a few years ago before Brexit. They would not have passed the the work permit rules. So I think you can maybe argue there's a slight uh, advantage to Postacoglu in that sense that his market is broader than it has been for past Celtic managers, but. Either way, however we've got here, we're here, and it's it's uncharted, really. It's it's like almost like going back to the seventies when you had the the quality street gang coming in to replace the lesbian lines. It's that kind of quality in depth. Oh, you're talking my language if you bring up the quality street gang. It's uh, mm-hmm. it's an era of Celtic history that I'm very very fond of. Uh, Jr. is asking where JP as well. JP this week and last week has uh, been busy elsewhere. Uh, so JP will be back on the show ASAP. He's uh, much missed every time he, he is not on a Celtic state of mind. So big shout out to JP if he's tuning in, because I'm sure he will be at some point uh, over the next 48 hours or so. Uh, and the other player I wanted to talk about is someone we hadn't seen a great deal of, but I think he has impressed. I don't know how much of a challenge he's had. Is uh, Kobayashi? Uh, obviously, when he comes comes in to the uh, comes into the to the side, uh, you're keen to see the style of play, you know, you're keen also to see Staffelt maybe playing in his favoured right-hand side of the centre-half position, and he did look very composed, very calm, good range of passing, um, and I think that there was one or two occasions where you're looking at him thinking to yourself, right, you still lack that wee bit of sharpness, but that's understandable, um, but he does look as though he's been a great acquisition, and he could be another one of the players just under the, under the surface of that first team Sean, that when required can step in and do the business like he did against Kilmarnock? He's still not there yet, uh, he's, but there's, he's clearly got uh, a lot of great attributes. He's still not up to speed with the system yet. He's not as aggressive attacking it uh, as Starfield and Carter Vickers are, but that was a problem that, that they two had at first as well, particularly Starfield. It took him at least six months to get up to that. So I, I'm not putting that on Kobayashi. Uh, I mean, if you look at the Kilmarnock game at the weekend when the Kilmarnock player goes around Joe Hart and uh, Kobayashi's on the line. Like, you never see that. You never see Starfield or Carter Vickers backtracking in that. They're always aggressively attacking. Um, but that being said, he's he, he's looked great. He's looked composed. He's got strength and assurance. And uh, there's a certain other team in Glasgow that would probably bite your hand off for that left centre-back right now after their last two games. And uh, the one we luckily missed out on, Ben Davis, who got literally got hooked against St Mirren at the weekend and who was shocking at Celtic Park. So there's it's a night and day comparison there. We we were going for Ben Davis, what, three or four, allegedly, three or four transfer windows in a row. Missed out on him when he went to Liverpool. And now we've got someone, Ben Davis is looking like an absolute charlatan and we've got someone that looks so much better, even though he's not quite up to speed with the system yet. Yeah, uh, listen, you're right to bring up Davies because obviously Celtic as a, as a club will be offered a hell of a lot of players. There'll be loads and loads of candidates on on recruitment lists, etc. Uh, and you're right, we've absolutely dodged a bullet on that one from what I've seen. Um, now, I'm going to bring this in. This is Div Milan. Uh, Jers think we're going to regress. They're dreaming of Ange leaving. Saw Jers' podcast and a few were wanting Ange to get to. Well, I've, I've got to say, Dave, I don't I genuinely don't tune into any Rangers shows, podcasts. Um, so fair play if you do, but that's not something that I do. Um, however, yeah, it would not surprise me 
if they did want Ange to leave, but it's it's the media that annoys me a wee bit more because I would expect that from a, a Rangers fan looking at Ange Postacoglu thinking, right, he's a titan. Uh, I don't want him to stay at Celtic because they're just getting stronger and stronger. They are hoping for a regression. If you get a manager telling a fan base that they're going to get four or five players to equal Celtic, then I would question you know, the levels of um, delusion in that because, that you know, they're basically saying that you guys stand still. We bring in five high, high-caliber players who all have to hit the ground running and we'll match you. And it's like, no problem. Okay, we'll just stand still while you do that. That's not how football works. And it, you're just kind of ignoring the fact that come the summer, you're going to be depleted yourself as a football team. So you're going to have to replace them as well as the four or five that you think you are behind Celtic. So there's levels of delusion. They will be dreaming of Ange leaving. But, you know, what I would suggest is that, you know, the way Celtic have approached this is we look after Celtic, Sean. You've got to look yeah. after what you're doing yourself. Stop looking over your shoulder at uh, what other people are doing. And I think that's that has worked well for Ange and Celtic. And <clears throat> Yeah, I know Mickey Beale is an absolute mouthpiece, but... I read like a paragraph of what he was supposed to have said and it seemed like he actually said they want four or five players to be where they want to be and he didn't actually mention Celtic this time. So if you, I don't know, I might be wrong. He might have said it in a different line of the, the actual interview. But um, if it's if what I'm reading is the actual quote that they're using, then it feels like the media has actually paraphrased that one into a Celtic comparison. But regardless, you're right. Four or five players, if they think that's going to get them to where they want to be which is obviously top of the league then they are they they really do need us to regress they would need Ange to go they would need three or four of our best players to get sold and for us to not do a good job of replacing those losses uh i don't know what the odds of something like that happening would be it feels small it feels like we're gearing up for champions league next year and no one's going anywhere no one of import no, no, you're, you're spot on. And then you've got that confidence as well that if it was to happen, then we would have replacements either already in the building, Sean, or on the radar. And I think it's happened twice since Ange came in because you go back to Rogic and Beaton, two guys who were you know, staple members of the first season under Ange Postacoglu. And then in the second season, we've seen it with Juranovic and Yakamakis. Yet the leave and the thing just keeps going. The machine keeps rolling on. and We never stop that whole cliche, but it's true. And I think that when, when the time comes, unless it was somebody like Callum McGregor, um, Carter Vickers or Jota, I would be very, very confident that we'll be able to bring someone else in. I don't like seeing quality leave Celtic. I see it time and time again. But I would be confident that, that Posta Coglu and his recruitment team would have something in place. It, it wouldn't come as a shock. It wouldn't leave us short. Um, Ed Janzio, the culture of the club at present is something to be proud of as a supporter from the way the media is handled to the conduct of our players. It is a club that represents us. What did you make of that video that went viral during the week, Sean, with the Arsenal players and the wee mascot? Um, obviously, Arsenal have put it out thinking, mm -hmm. oh, look at our players signing this jersey. And it turned into a PR disaster. What did you make of that? 
I didn't catch the disaster part. I did see the video. What was the, the blowback on it? The blowback basically was, look at these spoilt footballers. Not one of them would break breath to the poor wee lassie. Look at her looking up longingly at her heroes and they're just signing a jersey and walking on. So there was <laughs> loads and loads of kind of like fallout from it. Um, and then other clubs started posting videos of how it should be done and all this kind of stuff. And I was yeah. watching it thinking to myself, right, the wee girl for me looked pretty starstruck, but you would expect at least one or two of the players, Kieran Tierney, for example, to have a bit of crack with them. Say mm-hmm. hello, who's your favourite player? Blah, blah, blah. I don't know. Had that already happened? Was it to happen afterwards? Are the players told not to do certain things? I'm not too sure. But I am pretty uh, confident in the way that uh, we conduct ourselves as a football club. The, the engagement with fans, we used to bang on about that during... Uh, the early kind of Axon live streams that, that the lack of engagement was a, a real concern. I don't feel that anymore at, at this moment in time, Sean. Well, you're saying that, but we've just recently enacted a ban on players stopping at Lennox Town to, to engage with fans. So uh, I'm not sure, like, objectively, if that's the case or not. Uh, I think I've listened to a few shows where you guys have been talking about, like, uh, what was your man that sings the Fields of Affen Rise as party piece at Celtic Supporters Club? Uh, I don't remember. Anyway, but the point is, like, it used to be that the under Bellamy... Oh, Chris the, Morris. Chris Morris. Chris Morris, uh, yes. So they were regularly, regularly getting sent out to CSCs, and I'm, mm-hmm. I don't think that's happening anymore. Uh, at our CSC last week, we had Dixie Deanson, uh, and he just comes down just to watch the game, to be honest. He's not there to represent the club, but it's good, you know. Uh, we've had John Hartson come, Scott McDonald, but mm-hmm. mostly it's... Uh, yeah, I, I'm not... Are you? Do you think that they are, or do you think we're just doing it via social media and we're not actually engaging in person? Well, the CSE one is a great shout, Sean, uh, because mm-hmm. I don't think that that's something that is done enough of. And what's happened is it's created a situation whereby, on the one hand, um, certain people at the club don't want you to do events with CSCs because they see that the money is going elsewhere. But on the other hand, the clubs aren't doing anything with the CSCs in relation to that. So there's some good things. John, uh, Big John gave us a great example yesterday where Ange and Callum McGregor um, sent personal messages to John and his family for the for the wedding last week. That's brilliant. That's superb. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're not doing it because John never shared the footage. They're not doing it to look good. They know it's a very private thing. But on the other hand, um, the CSCs, I think, you know, often, you know, being involved in live events, as Axel is, CSCs come to you quite often saying, can you get us an ex-player? Because there's no chance of getting a current player. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, there is that whole aspect of it that I think it's fair to raise. The one up at Lennox Town, I was hearing from a particularly good source, though, um, that it's a shame for the kids because, you know, the kids going up to Lennox Town and standing at the gate and waiting on the players coming out, I don't think that was the issue. I think the issue was um, there was an, there was a specific incident with one of the players uh, whereby there was two or three grown men uh, kind of not letting them pass until they signed all this gear. And that, that came from a very, very good source. So at that point, they were like, right, we kind of continue with this because when players are leaving the ground, they've got to do so. So the players, and you know, they're doing the right thing. They're rolling down the window. They're signing for the kids. Uh, so it's trying to get a balance with that. But the CSCs, certainly, uh, you know, we're, we're bringing up names of CSCs here, Ian McMillan, um, who was with the round toe Robert Riley when he lived in Glasgow. And we've got the Livingston Jockstein. There's so many of them all over the globe. And I just think that that could probably tie in not only with the 
the current players, but with the former players' association um, as well, so that it could be done in such a way that they're they're never scratching about looking for a player or an ex-player. I'd love to see a return of that uh, for sure. So that's that's a good point. But again, the context of that that Arsenal incident. Um, I, you don't know what the players are getting told by the club, what they can do, what they can't do, because mm-hmm. obviously everything's managed to the nth degree. Um, talking of the English game, we don't talk much about the English game on Axon. I've seen an interesting tweet the other day from our friend Fabrizio Romano um, around Matt O'Reilly, but it was a, it was a positive one mm-hmm. in relation to Celtic because it was basically saying, look, there's loads of interest in this player from English football and from the Bundesliga, but he's happy at Celtic. That was quite refreshing mm-hmm. to read that one as well because he's one that I was a bit concerned about. I, I thought to myself his trajectory has been so steep in a short space of time that he's going to get interest from from that kind of level. Um, I think it would be too soon for him to leave us. What's your thoughts? Yeah, I'd like for him to have another crack. He's only been here, what, just a year and a bit now? Like, it's not, not that long, really. It was a year and a half ago, he was still playing in League One, so he's still got a bit to do. Obviously, his form took a downturn uh, after the World Cup when he maybe felt like he'd missed out or might have just been that with all the transfer stuff that was going around, he might have... Um, a bit distracted as well uh, and maybe somebody just had a word, a word with him and going like uh, you'll be going nowhere uh, better than Burnley unless you you know sort this out and start doing it for Celtic uh, and if, if he does do it in the championship he got married in match against Real Madrid right so if he thinks he's going to get a, a move and dine out on that every bad game he plays after that's going to you know lower his value so he needs to kind of keep his focus even if he does want to move but it's good to hear he, he wants to stay he's 22 so he's 10 years younger than Aaron Moy. Uh, if we can get a, he's what, two, two, three years younger than Rio Itati. So there's still, we can still get a good uh, deal out of him and he can still get a good move at a good young age and a big high transfer fee. So I think we can help each other out in that sense. And yeah, hopefully he stays for at least until January next year. Yeah, I think there is obviously that situation as a fan where as I said before, I don't like losing quality players, but there comes a moment, there comes that, that perfect time for the player and in terms of the value for the club where you think, okay, it's the maximum moment. It's that bit where it's the it's the uh, sweet spot and they can leave. And I just don't think O'Reilly's there yet. I get the impression that um, Abada, however, might believe that his time is, is coming. And again, I... I don't think he's done it for us on the Champions League kind of uh, platform, mm. Sean. I'm now talking about Abada. I don't think he's done that. I think that there's still a lot for him to improve on before any any move was was to be forthcoming. However, um, obviously there's been rumours circulating around Abada as well. Even with that in mind, even if he was to stay, don't you think that's an area of the park we should strengthen in any case so that we do have that depth on the right-hand side? Look, uh it depends how you view James Forrest and Rocco Vata when you're yeah. answering that question. Because if you take those two out of the equation, which I would hope for not with Rocco Vata, maybe it's James Forrest's time. But uh, if Rocco Vata's in the equation, then the only other player left there is Jota. So, because Haxaban, Richard Maeda haven't proven very effective filling in on that side. So, and if Abada leaves, I don't know, do you. Do you go with Vata as number two in that position mm. or do you do strengthen there? I don't know. If, if Jota goes, then we're absolutely up up creek at that point. But um, I would like to see Vata in and about the team more uh, going forward. So 
if we are signing someone oh man you're i, I can't it's such a hard question to answer because i want to i want it to be vata but i also want us to do well in the champions league and last year we were completely hamstrung by injuries to mcgregor and carter vickers that mm-hmm. killed our champions league campaign <sighs> what do you think i'm gonna i'm gonna pass Listen, it back so, to you i'm gonna not a, commit to it it's a real dilemma because on the one hand you want to um you want the youth to progress we, we bang on about it all the time on axon you want the youth to progress it's been great that vata and summers have come into the squads over the last few weeks vata sat on the bench and you know against rangers in the 3-2 game it was great you know when jota scored to see vata being one of the guys and in, in the the celebrations and all that stephen welsh as well incidentally so you've got that and you think to yourself well He's 18 years of age. He's had, uh, you know, a wee bit of a taste of first-team football. How do you progress him? Well, you don't progress him by banging him back into the B squad. You need to try and keep giving him game time. So you've got that. Uh, James Forrest, I uh, thought, was a, the right decision at the time to give him the extension to his contract. Um, for a few reasons, I think that it's exceptional to have a player like him in and around the dressing room and on the training part because of the experience and the fact that you know, like McGregor and Ralston, he's been there since he was a, a young kid. He knows nothing else. And that is required when you've got so much churn with the players coming and going. You've got to make sure that the players know what Celtic's all about. And he's one of them, but you can't just be that. You've also got to play games. And that's where the concern comes in with Forrest. Um, Abada, there's a thing, you know, there's a feeling I've got with Abada that he will leave, um, if not this this preseason and maybe in January, I think he, he is on the cusp of leaving. And if he does, then I, I do feel that we're a wee bit short because if we go to a European game and Jota is injured, for example, mm-hmm. and we know that he has had illness and injury this season, then you're thinking, right, Vata or Forrest. So you've got a baptism, I guess, of throwing Vata in can go either way. And I've been really impressed with him and I really want him to succeed in a Celtic jersey. And then you've got Forrest. And I think we've seen brilliant things from Jamesy Forrest but his fitness this season has met, left a massive question mark over him so I, I think, think what I'm think saying you, is are you sure about that one because I think if you actually if, based on what I checked before the cup final he was in literally every single match these squad has he played bench. as many games has he played as many games Jamesy he was allegedly a fit and available fit. for every, for every game until the cup final and he's he not fit back since then he scored a hat-trick this season isn't he James, is that this season? Uh, I need to check that. One recently, yeah, it's in the park. Yeah, someone in the comments will be able to confirm. But if a badder leaves, I think we need to sign another right, right sided player. I really do, just to keep that strength there. And and then you've got you've got Vata, and I think to myself, right, okay, in terms of age, he's eighteen. When we brought in a badder, he was nineteen. Um, and, and then th- there's a whole question around okay well if he's not ready now when's he going to be ready so uh, but I do think that we would would be looking because I agree with you Maeda and Haksabanovic haven't done it on the right hand side um, I think we've yet to see Haksabanovic's best uh, position how impressed were you by the way with Vata when he came on yeah he looked good he definitely looked good uh, that was a brilliant cross he put in and yeah he, he, sometimes you can just tell like players have got that touch do you know what I mean and they just need to get the other aspects of their game like once you've got that you just need to figure out other things like the physicality and the, and the tactics and, and everything else will just fall in once you've got that uh, it does look like he could have something about him but then we've said that about other players in the past that haven't panned out like Liam Miller or you know Mikey Johnson or whoever but 
I'm, I'm very hopeful. And I'm wondering, I'm curious, with this whole thing about, you know, we won't put Daffabelt on kids' strips, are we going to let them put Rocco Vata's number on the back of their top? See that that's that's a really interesting show. <laughs> I mean, we were playing we were playing a sixteen year old just last season. Yeah. Um, so are you allowed to put the sponsor? Great. That's a great question, by the way. Um, <laughs> could could Ben Doak as a sixteen year old have won the the Daffabet sponsorship? Very very good question. Mm. Yeah, but uh, well, I'm more. I had the same kit number for years as as Rocco Vata's got, and uh, it wasn't for I don't know what his reasons are, but uh, I just thought it was hilarious. <laughs> Steve Cassidy the semi is going to be interesting they will be desperate for the win as uh, they will be stopping our treble and they'll be trying to avoid a trophy last season for them, yeah there will be and you know there's been situations where not necessarily in semi-finals but I think back to 89, the Joe Miller Cup final where he stops the treble that, obviously there's so much riding on it anything can happen, we know that's a cliche it's a cup game, we know that um, but I think that we have already seen them throwing everything, including the kitchen sink, at trying to stop Celtic so far, every single game this season. They arguably have been at their best when Celtic haven't, and they've still not won the game, Sean. And I think we go in with a bit of renewed confidence that even when we've not been at our best, and I don't think we were in the 3-2 game, I don't think we were in the 2-1 game, and I don't think we were you know, when we drew with them at Ibrox, we've still came out unscathed, relatively. Yeah. And, and um, yeah, I, I'm still confused to this day as to what happened in that semi-final last year, where they they came off playing 120 minutes in Europe and looked a fitter team than us. And I'm still baffled by that. I still don't understand looking back how that happened. I know we were kind of had a lot of injuries ourselves, and I think we had like Stephen Welsh playing at fullback by the end of the game and yeah. scales at left back. Maybe I can't remember. So we we were struggling with injuries ourselves, but it still baffles me now that how after them playing away for 120 minutes in Europe, they dominated us in terms of fitness in the in the late stages of that game. So I, I'd be thinking and hoping that revenge is a factor. But I'm also hoping that we get this kind of... One thing that Brendan Rodgers, I know we don't like to talk about too much these days, one thing that he was really good at was getting players to just not get overawed by an occasion. Uh, they would like just play the football and not be kind of... He would, he would get their heads in the right space for a big game. Whereas Apostacoglu almost seems to lean into the kind of, uh, you know, sense of occasion thing and, and kind of uses it as an out for players. Like, if you're playing... If we play a game against... You know, remember, he went mental. Was it Rafe Rovers? And he started balling the players out uh, in the first half. And so he doesn't let them away with it in that game. But then after any uh, Sevco game, he'll always come out and say, oh, they did well considering the occasion. And, you know, like, oh, it's always frantic in these games. You know, he will give them that out in these games. So, I, and I don't, I'm not, it's not a criticism. Like I, it's, I think maybe he's just saying, look, I can't control this. But I would be curious to know how Brendan Rodgers controlled that. Or maybe he didn't. Maybe it was just because... Sevco were gash back then, and it was you know, <laughs> like you didn't really need to control it. No, you're, you're right. I, I think with regards to the way that, again, going back to one of the comments about the culture and the way that Ange deals with the media and the way that he deals with the players as well um, has been, for me, the, the absolute sea change that we needed when, when he came in. Um, the semi-final was going to be a battle apparently, according to 1888 CFC, if it does become a battle, I think that suits them a wee bit 
more than it suits us, but we'll see how that transpires. We'll keep homegrown for the equation. We had a good chat about that uh, Drew Hallow LP just the other day, and I think that's why Forrest um, will probably stay in the build. Mickey Johnson might come back in, and Stephen Welsh might not be sold. Michael89 doesn't think I got the squad number reference. I did get it, actually. Yeah, I did. I just don't know where you want me to take that, Michael, to be honest, when it comes to Rocco Butter <laughs> having the number 69 on his back. And Thomas uh, Dunn, hail, hail from Early Beach. Abada was only in the door. This is true. When he said in an interview he would love to play for Liverpool, I remember he said that, proper faux pas, just in the door. Nowhere near Premier League quality Ajax can um, have him take the money. I think what you'll find, though, is, is Abada will be, will be you know coming up on so many radars at this moment in time because if you consider what he's done in the last two years his age, his numbers, they're astonishing. He will be a much sought after player. I think the other one that I remember coming away with something like that about um, wanting to go and play in England was Mo Bangura. Remember him? Mo Bangura. <laughs> yeah. We signed the wrong one. <laughs> we definitely uh, to be honest with you, it's, it's the one thing that, you know, is a big question mark about Larson because remember the headline was, you know he's, he's, it's been um, recommended by Henrik Larson and I love Henrik but that was uh, that was definitely a faux pas if he was the guy that recommended them. Um, now there was a story again during the week and I, I thought to myself wow, seriously? Uh, mixed up referees, I thought yeah, and you know, in theory, sounds brilliant, Sean. But it's like giving VAR to our referees. You can give them a great concept. You can give them a great bit of kit. It's not going to improve what, what they do. It's not going to improve them as referees, is it? There's no point in keeping giving them new kit. Well, they're already mic'd up. But I think, I guess the story is that they, they, what they say will then be broadcast, uh, which to, to me more like rugby or, or uh, NFL or AFL or pretty much any other professional sport that's just a normal thing, uh, but not in, not in football, not in association football. Uh, referees get to go away and have a think about it and come up with their story after the game. Uh, so, you know, uh, throw back to Doogie Doogie. Uh, yeah, look, they already they already do have mics. They already communicate with each other, and it's I I think public transparency would be a good thing. When I'm doing refereeing, I make an effort to tell players why I made a decision even if it's like kind of slowing me down like at the weekend there some guy there's that ball hits the player's hand in the box and after look if it comes off his body and then hits his hand it's not a penalty they changed the rule two years ago and the guy's looking at me like they changed that rule and I'm like yeah like, some people like players literally don't know the rules so you have to kind of update them on the hop so I think transparency would be a good thing even if they're wrong at least they're transparent about it like and because I'll, I'll be doing it as well I'll, I'll make a decision and I'll go I saw that as a as your hand was away from the body and, and the ball hit your hand and the guy would be like, oh no, I hit my elbow and I'd be like, well, do you know what I mean? Like, and I'm, it's fine, I'm taking the feedback, but I'm not changing my decision. It's it's okay to be wrong. Transparency is good. We can all learn from it. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. No, you're right. You're right. And I think though that with regards to it becoming kind of like a, a public, um, it becoming public with what's getting said, um, my, my big you know, future aspirations for Scottish football when it comes to refereeing is, is professional refs. You're a referee. Would it help? Is that an obvious thing? It, it definitely should be introduced in this country. Do you think that would make all the difference, Sean? Um, I don't think it would benefit referees, no. I think it would only be of benefit for the public perception of referees, uh, which might help them in the sense that people might go off their back. Uh, you know, like 
like I said, even if you're wrong, if you just explain why you gave the decision, then people will be like, all right, okay, I see. I don't agree with you, but I see what you're saying here. Do you know what I mean? I think that's what I think. Mm-hmm. I think it would help get people off their back. I don't think it would actually make any difference to them. I think what they need to do to be better is to be full-time, where they sit down in a room, they look at 50 examples each day of decisions, they review them, they debate it, they talk about you know, why, where, what, how, and, and assess it, and they get better that way, rather than going to school during the day, uh, training Sevco youth players, uh, and then going refereeing a Sevco game at the weekends uh, with no real reflection. Because what are they doing during the week after work? They're doing a few hours of training. When do they actually have time to take feedback properly? What, you, one, exactly. two hours? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And if, if it was a full-time gig, obviously you're, go- you're going to be analysing, you're going to be uh, getting that feedback on a constant basis. Um, big shout out to the Governor Emerald CSC, that's John McCauley. Um, and also Peter McGlone reminds us that James, he did score a hat-trick this season. It was against Hibs, 6-1 game mm-hmm. at home. Um, and that was uh, part, one of the goals was his 100th in a Celtic jersey as well. So um, I'm always interested to to hear your thoughts on on the referees because I know you've got that you've got that experience as well. So thanks for sharing it with us. We're seven hundred strong on a live stream. Thanks everybody for getting involved. And if you haven't done so already, give us a big thumbs up. I asked for it yesterday. We got about six hundred thumbs up, which was phenomenal on the video. Now just the other day, I didn't get a chance to say this. Just yesterday was the anniversary of Tommy Burns's first ever game in a Celtic jersey, nineteen seventy five. We're talking about a culture. We're talking about people being at the club um, who are able to pass on the baton of what Celtic is, what it means to the supporters. And I think if uh, if I think of one man uh, who I would use an exa- as an example, it would be Tommy Burns. Um, as we move into you know, 20, 30 years of modern football, though, Sean, a lot of football clubs, they don't really see that as being important. As, as, a, as a Celtic fan, I think we will always see that as being important. Having a fabric uh, of the club in their homegrown players, three or four in every side, I think that's key uh, to anything Celtic does, you know, regardless of how much change we see in the modern game. Definitely, and it's uh, the Man United. I can't remember what. Could you tell me? Do you remember what year it is? They're tracking back, but they keep account of uh, how many years they've had a homegrown player in the matchday squad every game since whatever it is nineteen ninety right. or nineteen eighty mm-hmm. something. So they they are very proud of that. Uh, the team that I support here, uh, Fremantle Dockers, the Aussie Rules team, they have this very proud stat where they've played. Like in their whole history, they've only played one game without an ab- Aboriginal player on the team. So, like the, these, think about uh, what's the Spanish team, uh, Athletic Bilbao, who won't play players that are outside the Catalan, not mm-hmm. Basque, outside the Basque region. So, like, it is a very, very strong identity for many teams. And uh, uh, Celtic, obviously, we have the thing with the Lisbon Lions being our kind of root of pride around homegrown talent and it would be great if we could move back to that but also we demand success so it's a double-edged sword there and I think the thing that's killing us at the moment is this uh, I think the homegrown Champions League rule is what's killing us because it's the reason why these big teams are poaching the best talent at young age because they can't sign them later they have to have them early to make them eligible 
It's, it's a great point. Um, and we have lost so, so many of them. There's going to be a, a future Axom show, Sean, where we're talking about a great Celtic 11 we might have had if we were able to keep a hold of all these young, talented players. There's, there's definitely over a dozen already who have flown the nest. Uh, this week, Joe Hart celebrated his 36th birthday. Mikey Johnson celebrated his 24th. Uh, they're two players that uh, are constantly spoken about on here in relation to their futures at Celtic. Uh, Joe Hart, do we need a backup goalkeeper, Sean? And Mikey Johnson, does he come back into the fold in the summer? I like Ben Segrist. I don't know what's happening. I know he's allegedly injured, but I, I like him. I'd actually be thinking more uh, replacement for Joe Hart, to be honest. Uh, the chat about, I know it's um, done. Uh, I, I, I've only ever seen him play for Scotland in those two games, and he looked good. Uh, and he would tick a box in terms of homegrown players, uh, I believe. I might be wrong on that one. Uh, but yeah, I don't. I'd be fine with Joe Hart for another year, but also I'd be looking for a new number one that's a bit younger. Uh, it, yeah, and the homegrown thing is it always comes back to that. And we're now, is that maybe a sign of status that we're now, we now care about that? Like it's in the past, we didn't care, and it's now, oh, we now consider ourselves a Champions League team, and we now have to start thinking about this, you know? Mm. We're now at that level uh, of the Man Cities. I think the, the story I heard last week was. Man City offered Micah Richards 20,000 a week and then when the homegrown player rule came in they offered him 100,000 a week and he signed it obviously five year deal five year deal crazy Uh, but the good thing for me is obviously it's no coincidence that uh, all of a sudden over the last couple of years we have made um, inroads into getting the Celtic B team into the pyramid system Um, and obviously you know there's going to be a a period where we're jumping through hoops whereby it's not going to be ideal there's no promotion etc but eventually that will have to happen so that we do have that succession of young talent coming through Um, in the past you sometimes wondered when you looked at the, the, the real lack of homegrown talent coming through and playing over 100 games for Celtic, for example, Sean. Um, you know, if you go right back to when uh, Lennox Town was opened, uh, there's a real debate to be had around whether or not that's been a success. You know, it's something that I, I think we probably will discuss uh, in the future. But now the onus, you know, it's been ramped up a bit. Let's get the young guys playing in a pyramid system again, you know, and, and you know, it was different with, with the reserve league, and obviously that's never ever going to come back. The game's moved on from that; it's never going to be implemented again. Uh, but if we do have, like in other successful nations, a B team in the pyramid system uh, that can get promoted as far as the league underneath the top division, then I think that is key to the development of of our youth players as well. It would be phenomenal at some point to see a goalkeeper coming through the ranks um, and mm-hmm. play 100 games for Celtic, a striker mm-hmm. coming, who was the last striker that came through and played 100 games for Celtic. It's not often enough that we see it. Uh, Martin Bickett, uh, Melbourne, Jockstein, CSC, big shout out to you as well. And as I say, keep them coming because it's a, an absolute pleasure to see where you're watching the show from. Uh, we have 38 tickets left for our gig next week with big John Hartson. It's on Saturday night at Barra's Art Design. If you buy a ticket, you get uh, put into a prize draw to win a signed and framed Joe Hart jersey. And um, the ticket link is indeed underneath this video. 38 tickets to go. It looks as though it will sell out. Thanks, everybody, who's already bought your ticket. And if you want to come along and meet some of the Axon team, and indeed John Hartson, then please get along. These these venues, these um, events have been massively enjoyable over the last few months and we're going to keep them coming as well. Uh, because obviously, you've got Axom on your screen, 
but we can get a group of Celtic fans together and have a, a great good night and a brilliant venue as well. So John Hartson, it was confirmed 109 goals he scored for Celtic. Um, one of very few, the last one that hit the 100 barrier was indeed Jamesy Forrest, who we've already spoken to. Thanks, everybody, for getting involved. If you haven't done so already, 700 strong in the live stream. Sorry to cut you all off, but we have ran for an hour. Give us a big thumbs up on the YouTube channel. If you haven't done so already, subscribe, and then you can be part of the comments section as well. All that's left for me to say, Sean Connolly from Celtic Down Under. Thanks for joining me on a Celtic State of Mind. Network.